Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Landon Johnson as he shares this week's message. Our theme, our aim this year, that all glory be to Christ. Um, before Landon's actually going to be sharing with us a message this morning, I just want to take a moment just to give God the glory for granting us two men who can come and share and uh, be equals with us in sharing the gospel. And that's something I just want to take a moment to always uh, uh, um, impress upon you is that when you think of me and Randy and Landon, we, we are equals in all measure. Uh, I have the privilege and the responsibility to able to do that full time. And I think so much the church is uh, sacrificing and allowing me to do so. But he's also given us these two men. So when they stand up here before you, they're coming with the equal authority that's found that God has given to the church, the apostles, the preachers, the teachers, the elders. But our authority only comes as we preach the word of God. Amen. And so you always take whatever our mere opinions and you separate from the word of God and that's what we stand on. So I'm very thankful for these two men. And I want to encourage you this year when they come to preach is to make sure that you're here and you're, you're ready uh, to receive. You've been praying for them and ready to receive what God has for them as much as you would for me. And if not more so because they're doing it in part time. So they don't always get the opportunity that I have. And so I'm thankful for that. So I want you to get your Bibles ready. Landon has for us an important message that really setting a strategy that's a biblical strategy and, and mindset of what our church is and who we are and where we are heading for. So with that, I'm going to ask Landon to come and share with us what's on his heart from the Word of God. Thank Thanks. you, Landon. Thank you. Yeah, and just uh, thank you, Rob. I echo the words that uh, anything that is of worth that I give to you is all because it's based on Scripture, not my own opinion. So take that which is good and chuck out that which is not. Um, today we'll be preaching on the family integrated church. I know it says the family integrate church, but uh, that's just me not formatting things well. So the family integrated church. Now, the first thought in your head is probably what in the world is a family integrated church. And I'm glad you asked because we're going to find out together the what. What is a family integrated church? And the answer is quite simple. It is the family integrated church. First, there's a family. Second, the family is integrated. And third, it's a church. Thank you everybody for coming this Sunday. We're going to enjoy it. Yeah. That would make you happy, I know. But nope, we're going to stick around a little bit longer. We're going to dig deeper into it. So we're going to start with the first of them, family. How do we define family? So we're going to stick with the Oxford English Dictionary for the time being. A group of people consisting of one set of parents and their children, whether living together or not. Pretty straightforward. You got a husband, you got a wife, you got kiddos. That's a family. Integrated of institutions, groups, etc., which are not divided by considerations based on group qualities, age, sex, ethnicity, culture, etc. So you got a family, two parents, kiddos, and they're not divided up based on their age or their status as parent or child. And then finally, church, the easy one to define. We'll uh, start here at the beginning. Uh, Obviously, church is a little more complicated, so we're going to dive into church just a little bit more. So we'll start with the definition, which is a building for public Christian worship or rites, such as baptism, marriage, etc., 
So that's kind of the generic one that you'll get from the dictionary. But we know that scripture itself defines uh, a church a little more thoroughly. So go ahead and open your Bibles up to Colossians, if you would, and go to chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to start there and uh, be ready to move around. We're going to be doing quite a bit of bouncing to get to where we need to go. So first, we've got the church throughout the world. This is going to be Colossians chapter 1, verse 8. And he, that is Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So every believer, dead, alive, yet to live, everyone who ever will believe in Christ or has believed in Christ, are all part of this universal church, those who are part of the body of Christ. So this is the church throughout the world. Then there is the church throughout a region. So we're going to bounce over to Acts chapter 9, go to verse 31, if you can get there quickly. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So we have the church throughout the world, which is everyone who has ever believed in Christ ever. Then we have the church throughout a region, Judea, Galilee, Samaria, modern days. This could be the church in America, the church in Africa, the church in Europe. These are all regional churches. Then we get even more intimate. We have the church within a city. Back to 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So this is specifically to a church inside of a city. And this is like something we're pretty comfortable with, right? A lot of the letters that Paul wrote, he's writing to a specific church within a city. So we have the worldwide church, we have a regional church, we have a city church, and then it gets even more intimate. You can have several house churches within a single city. So looking at Romans chapter 16, bouncing around a little bit, verses 5, 10 through 11, 14. Uh, this is Paul writing. He says, Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Ap Apennetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Apelles, who was approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet Asyncreus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with him. All these individual little groups within the city of Rome, these little house churches. So we can go from as wide as every Christian ever down to family units and small house churches, multiple within a single city. So that's the scope of church described within scripture in terms of sizes. Now let's get down to the Greek words that are used for church. There's two, ekklesia and kuriakon. So ekklesia is from the Greek kaleo, which means to call, and it has the prefix ek on the front, which means out. So literally, it is the called out ones, and this we translate church. It is the people who have been called out, called to Christ. So any, any use of the word ekklesia as the Greek could also be very accurately translated as the assembly of the called out ones. Now that's not quite as elegant as just saying church, and so instead of every time translating as that as assembly of called out ones, it translates it as church. So then separate from that, you have kuriakon. So that comes from the Greek kurios. We're used to that one from like Latin singing and stuff, which is Lord. And then the suffix con, which is a possessive. This belongs to, so literally of the Lord or special to the Lord. And that's only used twice actually in the New Testament. So uh, 1 Corinthians 11.20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you now eat 
uh, is uh, Paul writing about take, partaking of the Lord's Supper and the Lord's Supper. That's that word koryakon, like this is a supper special to the Lord. It is of the Lord. And then again in Revelation 1.10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet. That's talking about the day of judgment, the day of God. So it's kind of a weird thing that our English word church comes from the Greek word koryakon, even though it is almost always applied to the Greek word ekklesia. And so it creates some confusion for us in our English context, because when we use the word church, we're usually talking about a building. Sometimes we're talking about the gathering of people, but we don't have a distinguishing word that separates those two. When am I talking about this building, the church? When am I talking about the church, our local group? When am I talking about the church, which is every Christian ever who has ever lived? So for our purposes this morning, we are speaking about the local ecclesia. We're talking about the local gathering of the called out ones. So every time you hear me use the word church when we talk about family integrated church, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about the global universal. We're not talking about a physical building. We're talking about us, the gathering that is here in this space that is sharing together. So cool, Landon. That's all great. You're all probably visibly confused now. What does all of this mean? <laughs> Thank you, Obi-Wan. For reals, what is a family integrated church. Okay, so at its most basic level, the family integrated church, and we've defined these words now, so we know what they mean, is in a church that is intense, intentionally designed to eliminate unnecessary age segregation from the church's ministry. So the intent behind a family integrated church is to try to eliminate the separation of different age groups that are not needed in order to make sure that there is as much cross-pollination between the generations as possible. So typically, within a family-integrated church, the children are attending all of the corporate worship gatherings, and the children's ministry, when there's usually one, it's kept to a minimum so that we can try to maximize how much our kids get to spend time with the adults and the adults with our kids. So OVBC has only very recently become a family-integrated church. In the past three or four years, we made the decision that that was a better way to approach worship and to bring our church family together. So the answer is, why? Why, three or four years ago, did we make the decision that this is the way we want to approach worship? So I'm going to make the case now that from the Bible, this family-integrated church model is the best possible model that is available to us, and even beyond that, it is biblically commanded as the best possible way for us to gather together and to worship. So how about that for an intro? Let's all pray together, and then we're going to dive in and see what this is all about. Gracious Father, we uh, thank you very much for this morning where we get to dive into your word, take a look at uh, what you're going to teach us about the best ways to worship, what worship is, how it can be defined, how we do it. We pray, Lord, that uh, as, we've, uh, as we've said many times before, that anything that is worthy, that you would allow it to go forth, to sink deep into the hearts and minds of everyone here. That which is not, let it just fall away and be as chaff in the wind. And uh, just uh, allow us to, to really sit under the tutelage of your word, to accept it and to submit to it. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, why do it? Why do the family integrated church? Above all, God's word, our scripture, is going to be the foundation for defining worship and how we do it. And God takes his worship very, very seriously. So let's take a moment to consider how seriously God takes his worship. So if you would, turn with me to Leviticus chapter 10. I'm going to start in the Old Testament, and then we'll do another passage from the New Testament. So Leviticus chapter 10 we're going to read verses 1 through 3. 
So this is shortly after the giving of the law. This is the institution of the temple and all of its rites. And you had Aaron, who was the head of the Levitical priesthood. And now we're talking about his sons, Nadab and Abihu, starting in verse 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came up from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. So take a moment to consider that for a moment. Aaron, who is the head of the Levitical priesthood, a new line of priests that has just been raised up by God, his sons are killed before him by the Lord himself. Now, I am sure that Aaron came to Moses weeping and in tears and wondering what in the world happened. And so Moses goes before God to ask, and God gives a very simple answer. You do not worship me except in the way that I command you to worship me. I will not be worshipped in a way that I have not authorized. And if you try to, the penalty could be as serious as death. So God takes the way that he is worshipped extremely seriously. And we can see this repeated again in the New Testament. Turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 5. So you can see there's a parallel between these. In Leviticus, we were looking at the institution of the nation of Israel as God's means to show himself to the nations. Now in Acts, we are looking at the institution of the church. This is the very earliest moments of the church when people are coming together and God is now instituting the church as his method to reach out to the peoples and to show himself to them. And we're going to read about Ananias and Sapphira, a story many of us are familiar with, but we're going to begin here in verse 1 of Acts chapter 5. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back some for himself of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in and found her dead, they carried her out also and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard these things. So again, we can see, repeated again, God will not be mocked in his worship, and he will not be worshipped in a way that he finds false. And he is so serious about this that he will take your life if you try to go against what he gives you as the rules for how to worship him. So as we approach this now, trying to see why is it that we think this family integrated church model is the best way to worship God, it's a very, very serious topic to dive into and not one to be taken flippantly. So moving on now from how God looks at worship, we should look at the fact that we are created to worship. We cannot help but worship. So let's look at uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism. I always love that the very first question they ask in that catechism is, what is the chief end of man? Many of us know the answer to it. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
And that is based upon 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You can't help but worship something. As a human, it is beyond your ability to not worship something. You are either going to worship bad things, which are the idols in your life, or you are going to worship the, good, the one and only good thing, which is the Lord and creator of all the universe. You have been designed that you always must be worshiping something. And so let's take a look, knowing that God takes worship very seriously, knowing that he has created us to worship and we cannot help but do it. Let's see how worship is expressed in the New Testament. What, what is the methodology that we use for it? And there's five actions if we dive into Scripture and to take a look. There are five things that are always required in the process of worshiping, and they all require ecclesia. They all require the assembly of the called-out ones in order to partake of them. So the, the five are singing, praying, partaking in the Lord's Supper, and then finally, contributing to a common treasury. So let's take them in order here. We're going to start with singing. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to sing when we gather together, and that is one of the primary ways that we provide worship to God. And so we're very thankful to Brandon, to Emily, to Rick, that every, morning, or every Sunday they're up here helping us to partake in that ministry of singing. Praying is something that we are to do corporately together as an ecclesia. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, reading in Acts 2, verses 42, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is a very important part of getting together. We don't just do this individually, though it is important that you pray individually, but we also need to do this corporately as a church. Looking at 1 Corinthians 11, partaking of the Lord's Supper, a passage we hear often, we're going to hear this morning as we partake. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is something we do regularly with each other so that we can proclaim the Lord's death and create an outward demonstration of the fact that we all together have come before a sacrifice that has been given on our behalf to save us from our sins. Studying the Word of God, this is what we're doing right now, what we're partaking of. Looking at Acts chapter 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Ooh, that's tempting. <laughs> yes, can I stick around until midnight? Probably not, you'll throw me out. So I'm not going to pull Paul, but the study of Scripture, obviously very important and something that they did regularly when they got together. Again, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, again, singing hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is a critical part of being a church. It has to happen in order for you to properly be considered a church that is worshiping. And then lastly, one that we often don't like to talk about, but that is a part of worship that has to be there, contributing to a common treasury. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first of the day of each week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as you may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. We are to 
of uh, the prosperity that God has given to us, give back to him. This is a, a, a outworking of the idea of giving up your first fruits, which began in the Old Testament, so that the church can love one another and provide for one another and take care of one another. We as a community can, through concentric circles, first take care of our, our own selves and our own families. Next, we take care of our church, our ecclesia. And then from there, when those have been taken care of, now we can start reaching out to our communities, to the world around us, and start helping them so that they can see the love of God through the way that we love each other. So you've got your five things. Singing, praying, partaking the Lord's Supper, studying God's word, contributing to a common treasury. So before we move on, let's review everything that we've gone over so far. We've got family. We know what that unit is. We've got integrated, it's everybody together. We've got our church, the ecclesia, this group here. We know that God's word tells us how we are to worship. We know that he takes his worship very seriously. We know that we are created to worship and now biblically defined. We know that we always need to do five things when we come together. Singing, praying, Lord's Supper, studying the Bible, giving. So, knowing now that that's how the worship functions, how do children fit into that picture? How do these multiple generations fit into that picture? How does that thing go? Please, somebody, think of the children, as our person says on the screen. So, what do we do about them? Let's take a look at the Bible, see what the Bible does with children in each of these things. I'm very glad you asked. First off, children were present during the Passover meal and during various feasts. So let's go back to the beginning. Exodus 12, if you would, turn to Exodus 12. We're going to look at chapter, or verses 1 through 4. So this is the very, very beginning. God is instituting the first formal um, requirements for the nation of Israel as to how they are to worship. Starting in verse 1, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household, and if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make an account for the lamb. So in this, the Passover meal, this consideration about making a, um, a, a atonement for your sins, God takes into account an entire household. You take a look at everyone that is there, the family, and then you make an accounting for that, and that is how you come before me to worship. Moving on from that, we get into Exodus 16, verses 9 through 17. Turn just a couple pages to the right. Again, chapter 16, starting in verse 9. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. So everybody, the whole congregation, not just particular groups, not just particular ages. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. I love that, that all the kids are there, and he says, I've heard the grumbling. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And in the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is this? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that you have in your tent, your entire family, grandparents, parents, children, everyone. And the people of Israel did so, and they gathered some, some more, some less. So 
in providing for the people and bringing them before him in order to hear what it was that God was going to command, God takes into account the entire family. Everybody here needs to be present for these things. So we know that God made sure that children were present for the Passover meal and for everything associated with it. Next, children were taught the law of God and were called to keep the Sabbath holy, and this included corporate worship. So Exodus 20, if ever we could say a uh, famous portion of Scripture, Exodus 20 definitely ranks up there, being the Ten Commandments. So really quickly out of verse 18, so we've listed the Ten Commandments earlier in this chapter, and then in verse 18, Now when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And God said to the people, Do not fear. For God has come to test you, for the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, you shall say this to the people of Israel. And it goes on from there. So these Ten Commandments, the the very bedrock of everything else that would come, God gives to the entire congregation of the people of Israel. And one of those commandments is two children, right? Number five, honor your your father and mother. God gives one of those things specifically to children with the expectation that they are standing there in that congregation to hear this commandment and to obey it. So God expects that children will know the law of God and that they will be present when it is recited. Also keeping the Sabbath holy. That's another one that they obviously need to be a part of because they're here with us during church, keeping the Sabbath holy. Whole families, including children, were commanded to listen to the reading of the law. Deuteronomy 31, verses 9 through 13 Then Moses wrote this law, gave it to the priest, the son of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, at the end of seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the feet of booze, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Now check it out. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. And be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children, who have not known it, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. It is expected that children will listen to this, that they will hear it, that they will understand it, and that because they have heard it and understood it, that they will come to fear and know God. It's an expectation that the whole family is part of this. Jumping down to uh, further into the Old Testament, Joel chapter 2, verse 15 through 16, we see nursing children as being part of the called assembly. Verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people and consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders and gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and let the bride leave her chamber. God is expecting that everyone, including babies, cute little babies like that one, are going to be present and be here for the gathering of the congregation. Paul has letters where he writes specifically words to children. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You hear that, Lily? It's a good one. Every parent says amen when they hear that one. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's a pretty important little thing that Paul pulls out for us as a note, right? In all of those Old Testament commandments, the first one that came with a promise is the one to honor your father and mother. If you do that, that you may live long in the land. 
if you dishonor your parents, if you break the family integration that comes with multiple generations and children honoring their parents, you actively destroy the culture and the country that you are a part of. I'm sure we can see evidence of that today. Colossians 3.20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Amen and amen. So Paul writes letters. These letters were written to people who were leading congregations in various cities and various churches, and they would read out these letters during the corporate worship, and he had words to say to the children who were sitting there in those congregations so that they too could partake. There's an expectation that children are present. Children were encouraged to be present and engaged by Jesus himself. Matthew 13, 14, 13 through 21, looking at, uh, 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 jumping down to uh, verse 19, where he's uh, feeding the people who had all gathered. This is the famous passage of taking the two fish and the five loaves, feeding the 5,000. Then he broke the, lo the loaves, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. They all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces that were left over, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Women and children were part of that group. They came to hear Jesus talking. They weren't sent away. They were expected to be there to sit under that same teaching. And then, of course, our famous passage that we all know in Matthew 19, 13 through 15. Then the children were brought to him, that is to Jesus, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and then went away. So Jesus expects that children will be present, that they will want to partake of the blessings that are his teachings. And then finally... You should be teaching your children yourself at all times, in all places. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, this is the very famous Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Listen to this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you should talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. That covers everything. Every single moment in your life, you are in one of those four states, and you are to be teaching your children in all of those states. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. You sh they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. They are to suffuse every single part of your life, so much so that everywhere you go, in your home, leaving your home, out in the area, as you're walking around, when you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, at all times and in all places, God's law and his teaching is suffusing your life, and you are passing that on to your children. You teach them diligently to your children. So none of those verses, when we looked at them, allowed us to segregate our children out into separate services that are, like, specific to them, right? Jesus didn't say, glad the kids are here. Let me bless them and send them off to the kids' church. At all times, an expectation that what the parents are partaking of, the children are also partaking of. So then, of course, we have to ask the practical question, what could possibly go wrong with having children present? Absolutely nothing. Just kidding. Landon, Landon, what could possibly go wrong? Landon, children are distracting, and they'll disrupt our service. True, true. Children are distracting, and likely they will disrupt our service. But they will also distract you at the grocery store, they also distract you and disrupt you at school. They'll do it in the car. They'll do it at home. They'll probably do it while you're going to the bathroom. Literally everywhere, children will disrupt 
because that's what kids do, because they want to learn and they want to be places, they want to do stuff, and that's okay. We teach them through example, through correction, and through discipline when they do those things. Everywhere and at all times, even here in our church service. Because here's the point. If God wants this group of filthy sinners here so that we can be redeemed by him and worship him in the morning, he sure as heck wants crying babies and fidgety kiddos. Look at Matthew 19 again. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. The disciples saw a gaggle of kids and were like, go away, we're doing serious business. And Jesus said, no, bring them to me. They are important. They need this too. Ephesians 6.4 is a good one, a little encouragement for us as parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's a commandment. you got to do this. And in case you're wondering how, Proverbs 22, chapter 15 gives us a quick little look at that. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Can I get an amen from the parents? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. Amen. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. We can teach our children the path of wisdom. It doesn't come to them naturally. Naturally, foolishness is bound up in their hearts. But when they sit under the instruction of the Lord, and when we use the rod of discipline to drive it from them, when we give them the truth that is contained within God's scripture, now they can find wisdom. So let's not deny ourselves that ability to bring them here to hear the truth that we ourselves is understanding. But Landon, Landon, children can't understand what's being taught. This is complicated stuff. True, true. They can't understand everything, but they can understand more than you think. Everyone who has had a kid or been around kids for any significant period of time has had those moments when you're doing something and then suddenly your kid blurts something out that they heard you say and you have to like stop for a second and go, oh, now they can understand that. And then usually it's something bad you did that you didn't realize you were getting away, you thought you were getting away with because they're young. And then they do it and you're like, oh geez, like I gotta, I gotta up my game and get a little bit better here because they can actually understand what's going on here. Kids understand a lot. And I think also to some extent, we uh, as a society have lowered our expectations for children too much, right? You look back in history and you look at things like, I mean, like the, the British Navy had 12 and 13-year-olds as officers on board, commanding men who were much older in life and death situations when you had like naval battles and guns going off at each other and they're leading boarding actions to go fight. Like kids, particularly when they get a little bit older, are capable of incredible things if we just expect them to do it. So let's give them a high bar and let them rise up to it. Let's let them sit in the service and hear these things and hear these complicated ideas and give them the expectation that you will rise to the occasion and that you will take the time to dive into this and understand it. Because you know what? How many of you understood everything that has been preached from this pulpit as an adult? Like when, when we dive into like infralapsarian versus superlapsarian, how many of you were like, oh yeah, I'm there all the time, cool. But if we did a separate service, we're like, you know what? We're going to get into something deep. So uh, all the adults that don't feel super confident about your eschatology, we're going to ask you to go to, you know, 208, and we're going to talk to you guys about, um, you know, the breaking of the bread and the feeding of the 5,000, and the rest of us are going to stay here and talk about this. Like, that's insulting. You'd be like, no, I, I need the deep things, right? Give me the meat. I want to rise to the occasion and learn more. We should expect the same of kids. They're not going to get everything. It's true. But they will get a lot more than I think we expect them to, and they will learn that there is a, a, 
uh, uh, there is a need to strive for the things that you don't yet understand. But Landon, Landon, they're going to be bored. They're going to sit there, and they're going to get bored. And you know what? It's true. They will be bored. But let me offer you this. They will be less bored if you are less bored. Because Sunday morning starts on Saturday night, and Saturday night starts the whole week prior to that. So if you're having trouble with your kids not wanting to be engaged and being a little bit bored, here's the key. Try working at home first. Saturday night, you should be talking about how excited you are to go worship God in church on Sunday morning. Because if you are excited about being here Sunday morning, they will be excited about being here Sunday morning. And start doing a family worship. If you do a family worship every single night where the expectation is that we're coming before God to worship him as a family, then that time, which becomes very enjoyable for your children, then translates over into this time where we get to take that little microcosm, the family, and now we get to integrate it with the church. Yeah, see what I did there? Family integrated church. And now the larger group, that same excitement now gets translated here. More excitement, bigger group, better music, probably. Unless you got Brandon playing at home, in which case you get good music too. So they will be bored. Nah. Now this one's gonna be a little bit harder. Ready? Landon, Landon. I just need a break. I feel you. I do. I feel you. I understand this one emotionally. It's hard. But may I offer you this? And this is this one hit me hard while I was trying to prepare this. That says a lot more about our hearts than it says about our children's hearts or about anything else. If we're coming to church with the expectation that I just need a break from my kids, worship is no longer about God, it's about us. And worship always needs to be about God, not about us. So it's not an easy thing to do. And let me tell you, I understand there are times when you're going to be at the end of your rope as a parent. I know particularly for the wives, if they're stay-at-home wife, man, like the amount of time that you guys spend at home with your kids, and it's like, I just need time with adults to do something that is different and like that is a need that you have and it's something that we should help with as a church. If you show up on a Sunday morning and things are rough and you need some help, rather than leaning into this, I need time, I need a break, reach out to the church around you, reach out to this ecclesia and say, you know what, I, I gotta have some time to really worship God and try to get myself recentered, and we'll help you. Come talk to me, talk to Rob, talk to Randy. We will get someone to help watch every single one of your kids while we are here in this service, and we will give you that time so that you can focus, so that you can recenter yourself and get back on a good page with God. And over time, it'll get better as your kids get older and they get trained better. But let me just offer this as a small correction. Any of these things that we have just listed out, Landon, kids are distracting. Yeah, but that's okay. Kids don't understand what's being taught. Yeah, but they'll learn. Kids are going to get bored. Yeah, but you can help them not be as bored. And sometimes I just need a break. Yeah, you do, but you know what? The church can help you with that break if you really need it. And look at your own heart and make sure that you really do need it and you're pursuing this time to be a time for God and not for you. So here's the audience participation point. Here's the question. Is any of this easy? No, that's right. Absolutely none of this easy. But is all of this possible? Okay, it's all possible. Is all of this commanded? Uh, that's the part that gets you. So, here's the fun part. Application. All of this is just pictures of discipleship. And it starts with your families, right? 
mom, dad, you are the most important part of that discipleship because it is given to you to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And the church is part of that process, but it's yours primarily. And then the church aids you in that. So let's take a look at all of our pieces. I'm a parent with children. Why does this matter to me? So just mostly this side. I got a little bit this side too, but parents with children. Why does this matter to me? Here's the thing. Your kids are already with us or they're going to be joining us soon. And I'll be honest, it's probably going to happen sooner than you're comfortable with. There's going to be kids in here when you're like, oh man, I wish I could hold off for another year or two. But the most important thing is not, is it comfortable for us to be a part of this, but rather is your kid being taught what it is to sit under the tutelage and admonition of the Lord, and are they learning to look at your example and partake of these things, right? You're the most important person in leading your children to love this, the ecclesia. No no one else is going to disciple your children the way that you can. So it's going to be uncomfortable, but that's okay, because you can stretch, you can reach out, you can teach your children, and through teaching them, you too will learn to grow in your maturity and in your understanding. So that's the parents. But what about someone else? I don't have kids, and my family doesn't attend here. That hits a fair number of us. Why does this matter to me? Because parents need your help, and because discipleship is not just the job of the parents, it is also the job of the ecclesia, the local church. Right? Help keep an eye on the kids if you see a parent getting overwhelmed. Offer to hold a baby if someone's loading cars. Encourage someone who is a frazzled parent, and above all, pray for them. Be present, be here. If you don't have kids, but you can help those who do and make that process better so that these multiple generations can come up, you can help with that discipleship process by teaching and all the rest of it. That is how you can help. So then we got our last category. This one's you, Lily, and Landon. I'm a child or a teenager. Why does this message matter to me? Let me tell you, you guys are going to watch the adults around you. You're going to watch mommy and daddy. You're going to listen to the pastor who's standing here at the pulpit. And through that, you're going to learn, why in the world do mom and dad give up Sunday mornings? Like Sunday mornings, they could stay at home and have slow, easy days, nice breakfasts. Why are they coming up every day and coming out here to spend time with all these people and sing and all the rest of it? And why are they so darn happy about it? we got to learn by watching and partaking. And through that, You guys are going to become the next generation. Someday you guys are going to grow up, and then you're going to have your kids, and you guys are going to be the ones standing up here and teaching and singing and teaching the next generation. So it's your job to be here, to be present, to watch, and to learn. So everybody here is part of this family-integrated church that shares our faith across all the boundaries. So I hope over the course of doing this, like, across all this various scripture and all the rest, we've made the case for you why OVBC chose three or four years ago to, make, to become a family-integrated church where we very specifically target bringing our kids up. We use nursery to take care of them when they're so young that they you know, have to have a place where they can be elsewhere. But once they hit an age where they can sit for a period of time, they can be under the tutelage, even if it's a little bit difficult, we want them to be here with us. We want them to learn what it is to be part of a church to sit, to be present, to be excited about this thing that is the church so that when they leave, they're not doing what has happened in prior generations. They get to be 18 years old and suddenly 
they have to make this faith their, faith their own, and they've never sat in a church with their adult parents. They go off to college or they move out, and suddenly they're just rudderless and have no anchor, and they don't know what it means to sit under the teaching of Scripture. We're not going to do that. We're going to follow the biblical commands that are here in Scripture. We're going to bring up our children to sit under the admonition of the Lord, to love being part of this congregation, and to find joy in it, the same way we find joy in it. So my hope is you'll be encouraged, you'll be challenged, and we'll look forward to continuing to integrate our children into this so that we can raise the next generation of believers. So if you would, go ahead and pray with me as the worship team comes up, and we'll close out this Sunday morning. Oh, gracious Father, we thank you so much for the words that you've given us in your scripture. We thank you for the, just the clarity that you offer to us through the examples that you provide to us, the way that you speak to us, showing us that uh, this is not just for uh, certain groups of people who are at a certain age or station in life, that you truly want this faith to be something that is given to all, that is provided to children, to parents, to grandparents, to everybody, and that this local church, this ecclesia, this uh, assembly of called out ones that sits here, this is the group that is going to work together to love one another, to be bound together in their love for you, in their joy for the teaching, and that through that they might be able to teach the next generation. This is what it looks like to be someone who loves the Lord and who partakes in this weekly gathering in order to love you. Help us, Lord, to develop these disciples, to focus on our next generation, to give of ourselves, to sacrifice, and to be uncomfortable as we try to follow and obey your commandments. Pray this in your name. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.